Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, my name is John, lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. It's a great day to come. We're kicking off a brand new series. Um, and what we're doing for the month of November is one thing and one thing only. We're going to be taking a look at forgiveness. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what the scriptures have to say about forgiveness. And then we're going to figure out how to practically apply it to our lives so that we might be able to hit the reset, so to speak, on some of our relationships. And that could be our relationship with ourselves. Um, it could be our relationship with other people. And maybe, just maybe, it might be your relationship with God. So today as we kind of dip our toe into the water, kind of take a lighter day, I want us to begin to try to answer the question, what do we do when we're offended? Now in week three of this series, we're going to talk about what do we do when people hurt us deeply. That's not today. Okay, today, I want us to talk about sort of the small stuff, um, the small offenses, those day-to-day -day offenses that kind of build up and accumulate in our heart, and if we don't do something about it, can turn to bitterness and really derail our lives. So this week, I was marinating on this question, thinking about this question, and I began to reflect on, and you might disagree with me, maybe not, I don't really know, but I, I began to think about how being offended in 2022 is almost viewed as a virtue, okay? You turn on the news, you go on social media, everyone is offended, okay? People are offended by anything and everything. And we've actually gotten to a place in this country where if you're not offended by something, people are offended, okay? Like, like you see, they're actually offended that you're not offended, so you can't, you can't win. <laughs> so we might have a problem at a macro level with kind of getting sort of offended in this country. I think at a personal level that we could all agree that we all kind of do tend to get offended at the small stuff. For example, your coworker sends you an email. And there's something about the tone, right? Offended. Um, maybe you bought somebody food, like a big salad, I don't know, and they didn't say thank you. Offended. Um, your friends. Your one friend, you know, didn't invite you to girls' night out. Now, you had no intention of going. You hate that kind of stuff, but you still want the invite. Offended. Or maybe you're like me, um, and you were minding your own business on the beach, suntanning, enjoying the glorious weather, when your wife looks at you and says, you know, I feel as big as you look. Offended. What does that even mean? I've told her this guy. I mean, I've asked her. To this day, she goes, well, I didn't mean it like that. Please, enlighten us. Okay. How else could one, what? Okay, anyway, all joking aside, we really do live in a day and an age where we are quick to get offended. We are quick to call foul, we are quick to judge, we are quick to write off, and we are quick to cancel. And the reality is, if you are always looking for to be offended, you'll always find what you're looking for. It is a self-fulfilling prophecy. And when you're always offended, what you'll come to learn is that there's just no win. There's just no win in living an offended life. I've never heard someone say, gosh, you know what? I'm doing so much better now that I'm bitter. It's phenomenal. I mean, like, I was like, I thought my day couldn't get any better, and then I got offended. What a blessing, right? I'm just on a cloud nine. My marriage is better because I'm holding on to this grudge. My, I'm closer to God. I'm really making a difference in this world because I let everything just really get under my skin. No one is better off because they are bitter. So if that's the case, what do we do when we're offended? This is the big question. What do we do when someone does something or says something that just uh, hits us 
the wrong way? How do we protect ourselves from letting that hurt take over our lives? Scripture talks about a guy named Solomon who is the wisest man who ever lived, and, and he gives us this advice. He says this in Proverbs. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. And, and, and a prudent person is someone who really kind of sees the big picture. They don't get caught up in the moment. They realize that what they do and say in this moment and today impacts who and where they will be tomorrow. Now Solomon builds on this advice, and he said, a person's wisdom yields patience. In other translations, it says that wise people are slow to get angry. I like that even better. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. So in two separate verses, we get the exact same advice from the wisest man who ever lived, that when you are tempted to get angry, when you are tempted to get offended, he wants you to overlook the offense. That in doing so, it is actually to your glory. It's a sign of spiritual maturity. It's a sign that God is working in your life. It is a sign that you are beginning to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. And we talked all summer long about those fruits. It is to one's glory, he would argue, to overlook an offense. Now that sounds great. How do we do that? Well, we choose love. Scripture is clearly indicating that we have a choice when we find ourselves in an offensive situation. We can be foolish, and we can choose to get angry. We can be imprudent, right? And we can allow ourselves to fly off the handle. Or we can be wise, and we can choose love. So while this is scripturally correct, and this would look great crocheted onto a pillow, it's a bit broad for my liking. So I want to kind of sharpen the pencil, so to speak take it a step further, and really try to make it practical for our conversation today. So based on Scripture, what we've seen and what we will see, I'm going to make the argument that when we find ourselves in an offensive situation, we should actually choose to fill the gap with love. Now, what does that mean? Allow me to build my case. There is a dynamic that exists in every relationship that we have. Now, you might not notice it because it happens so fast, but it's there. In every interaction that we have with other people, there is a gap that exists between their action and your reaction. There is this moment, this nanosecond, I'm going to call it a gap, where your brain receives their actions and then interprets their reactions, and then based on how you interpret what they have done or what they have said, you will then react accordingly. Now, this shouldn't surprise us. Scripture is very clear that, that we are controlled by our thoughts. Science is very clear. We are controlled by our thoughts. And so our reactions are controlled by our thoughts. Our reactions are controlled by how we interpret somebody else's actions. Here's the problem, because there's always a problem. We're actually terrible at interpreting, just plain bad at it. Unlike Jesus, who was a mind reader, more times than not, we just misinterpret situations. It's almost like we have the spiritual gift of misinterpretation. And if you don't believe me, how many times have somebody misinterpreted you? And, and you think to yourself, my gosh, I never, I never said that. <laughs> I, I never meant that. How could you think that of me? It's because we're all really bad at interpreting. Psychologists have picked up on this. And they've begun to study this phenomenon. And they have come up with a theory known as the fundamental Attribution error, and we almost all do this. The fundamental attribution error is this. It is the tendency to attribute 
our behavior to kind of external circumstances while attributing somebody else's behavior to their character. In other words, if I have done something to, let's say, disappoint you, right? Well, there's a reason for it, okay? Like, if I was late, come on, you know me, there was traffic, kind of a thing. If I've done something to disappoint you, there is a reason. But if somebody else does something to disappoint me, they're a terrible person, okay? When I was late, it's the traffic, okay? When you were late, it's because you're lazy. It's because you don't care. It's because you have no respect for other people. It's because of your bad character. That's the fundamental attribution error at work. My daughter is now one. Okay, got a mouthful of teeth already. There's more on the way. And so teething makes her fussy, like most kids. And so if we're at a restaurant and she's being a little fussy, my wife and I will look at each other and we go, it's the teeth, the teeth are bothering her. You know, her nap wasn't very good before. It's the teeth kind of a thing. But if somebody else's kid is at that restaurant and they're making a scene, we'll look at each other and go, well, those parents are delinquents. All right, that's, that's uh, okay. Those parents have no respect for other people. They clearly do not do any kind of disciplining in their household at all. They have zero control over those, you know, over those kids. Meanwhile, my kid's got her foot in the table. All right, so that is the fundamental attribution. My wife said she wanted to take a picture of this and go, this is the day therapy began for her, okay? We tend to believe that other people do bad things because they are bad people, but we excuse ourselves. There's a gap. There's always a gap between others' actions and our reactions, and we get to fill in what goes in the gap. Now, every single one of us has a spiritual enemy who is aware of this gap who is well aware of the fundamental attribution error and wants to exploit it, and his name is Satan. Now, one of the titles that he's given, and we find it in the book of Revelations, is the accuser, and sort of the full title is the accuser of the brethren, okay? Um, all day long, all day long, he is accusing Christians. And Satan, your enemy, would love nothing more than for us to fill the gap with accusations. Because accusations erode marriages. Accusations split friendships. Accusations destroy churches. And accusations rip apart countries and cultures. And you're seeing it happen. Your enemy wants you to fill in the gap with accusations, but God wants you to fill in the gap with love. Solomon in Proverbs says this, whoever would foster love covers an offense. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. I love the way the message translation says this. They go overlook an offense and bond a friendship, but fasten on to a slight goodbye friend. Whenever you find yourself in that gap, God wants you to fill that gap with love. So what does love do? Well, Paul tells us that love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. Love chooses to believe the best. Love trusts the other person. For example, let's say your spouse, I don't know if you're married in the room, but many of us are. Let's say your spouse, husband or wife, I don't know who it is. They text you. It's got to be a text, right? And the text says, hey, you take out the trash? You got a decision to make right here. Because remember, there's a gap between this question and your reaction. And in that gap, you have to interpret their tone, 
I love watching people interpret the tones of, of emails and text messages. It is great, okay? You got to interpret their tone, their motive, the meaning behind this, and your enemy would love nothing more than for you to interpret this as, they're saying I'm lazy, <laughs> okay? It takes trash out. They're, they're judging me, okay? They don't think I'm carrying my weight around the house. Love doesn't do that, though. Love says, you know, they probably just want to know if the trash has been taken out because the garbage is coming. Or how about this one? A friend doesn't text you back. Devil squeezes himself right at that gap, whispers into your ear, how dare they, right? How very dare they. Who do they think they are? They're too busy for you. Nobody likes you, okay? Love doesn't do that. Love assumes the best. You know, honestly, her phone's probably dead. I mean, it could happen. Uh, maybe he just got caught up at work. You know, boss called him in. He's got to do something. Like, I don't know. Maybe they just forgot to press send. We've all done that. You write a whole thing out. You forget to press send. You got bubbles all day long. They'll get back to me, I'm sure. Paul says something great in Ephesians. He goes, guys, look, please, be patient with each other. Make allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Be patient. Make allowances. Right? Give the benefit of the doubt. Why? Because of your love. Because God loved you. Because Jesus forgave you. Because there was grace for you, have grace for other people. When you begin to read situations through this lens of love, when you begin to sort of exercise just a little bit of patience in our interpersonal relationships, what you begin to realize is that somebody else's behavior is not all about you. I mean, it might be, but not all. Their bad mood, it's not all about you. Their bad driving, while it may seem like they're out to ruin your day and get in your way, is not all about you. They might just be a terrible driver, okay? That tone in their voice, that chip on their shoulder, may not all be about you. They, they might just be having a really bad day. They may have just gotten some really bad news. You want others to give you the benefit of the doubt to do the same for them. How come? Paul would say, because of your love. Now, that sounds good, right? But what if someone is intentionally rude to you? What if they're mean on purpose? I think it's important to remember that we are not called to be doormats. You'll never see that in Scripture, okay? Overlooking an offense must not be confused as submitting to abusive people or abusive situations. You have the right to stand up for yourselves. That being said, what I have found in life and in ministry, and I think you're going to agree with this, is that hurting people hurt people. You've heard this before. It is true. And so we want to temper our reactions in those moments with compassion. When someone is attacking you unnecessarily, let's call it, it just seems like, it seems whenever it's unnecessary, Chances are, chances are, there's something else going on in their life. They may be making it all about you. It's not all about you. And so instead of becoming offended, instead of wanting to leap across the table and fight that person, okay, we want to exercise meekness, okay? We want to allow for their faults. We want to show them compassion. Remember what Solomon said. He looked at this at the top of the day. He said, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. The best way to understand this concept of overlooking an offense 
is not to see it as pretending that something didn't happen. That's, that's, that's not what he's saying. Rather, overlooking an offense is forgiveness in real time. In the moment, on the spot, in the heat of the action, at that dinner table, at that coffee appointment, in the boardroom, on the Zoom call, forgiveness. It's not, I'm going to hold on to this for a week and then forgive. It is a real-time decision to just let it go, overlook it, pass right over it. Now, Paul knew the dangers of not letting it go. He understood the dangers of, of holding on to anger. And he says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, don't let this drag on for days. Don't let this drag on for weeks, possibly even decades for some of you. Don't even let it drag on until tomorrow. Let it go. Watch what he says next. And do not give the devil a foothold. Paul's like, guys, listen, you have a choice not to forgive. You don't have to forgive. You don't have to overlook the offense, right? But if you just let that offense marinate in your heart, you give the devil a foothold in your life. Because instead of just letting go of that offense, you now focus on that offense. You replay the offense. You rehearse the offense over and over. And you start telling other people about the offense, right? You're, you're now having shower arguments about the offense every morning after morning after morning. And what may have been just a simple misunderstanding or a dumb remark that person didn't even mean, it has now taken over your life and become gangrenous. Ultimately, unforgiveness distracts you from what God has called you to do. Come on, you know this is true. When you live an offended life, you are distracted from God's purpose and calling in your life. You're not as effective at work. You're not mentally present for your family. I mean, you might be physically there, but you're not there. You, you're, you're rehearsing that argument you had. You're rehearsing that offense. Satan wants you to be consumed with that offense so that it drags you down, but God has a higher purpose for you. And so every single time you feel that temptation to become offended, you got to say to yourself, I am going to overlook this offense because I have a more important calling. My calling is to love. My calling is to represent Jesus. My calling is to be the best husband I can be, the best wife I can be. My calling is to be the best mother or father or son or daughter or friend I can be. And I am not going to let the enemy slow me down. I am not going to allow the enemy distract me. I am over it. I'm going to let it go. Folks, life is way too short, and the purpose ahead of you is greater than that offense behind you. Don't let something so small in the grand scheme of things distract you from God's purpose in this life, because God has a calling for your life. God has empowered you. God has equipped you. Your life is too short. Your calling is too important to be offended by something so small. It is to one's glory, Solomon would say. It is a mark of spiritual maturity. It is a sign that God is working in your life if you can just let it go. So, what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So, it's November, 
Elections are right around the corner. Holiday season is approaching. We got Thanksgiving. We got Christmas. We're going to be spending more time with people and family, which means there's a greater chance for you to become offended. But that's a few weeks away. Today, I just want you to focus on tomorrow, okay? And my challenge for you tomorrow, Monday, is this. I would love for you to reassess your read. I'm not asking you to do this forever. I'm not asking you for, to do it even for a full week. Just for tomorrow, I would love it for you to reassess your read on people and situations. And any time or every time you find yourself in that gap where you are tempted to assume the worst, I want you to choose to believe the best. Now, this might feel like you're sticking your head in the sand, and that's okay. This is not going to feel natural because, folks, this is not natural. This is scriptural. And scripture says when you do this, it's to one's own glory. So when you are attempted to assume the worst, choose to believe the best. Then I would love for you to pay attention just to how that choice might affect that relationship. Pay attention to how that choice might affect your blood pressure, your mental health and your outlook on that day. And maybe, if possible, pay attention to see how that choice affects your relationship with God. Remember, as Christians, and many of us are Christians in this room, we are called to stay above it and love through it. That's what we do as followers of Jesus. We have a purpose. We have a calling because God loved us, because Jesus showed us grace. We are going to show that same love and grace to others on our path. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that we just have the opportunity today to come together and talk about an issue that plagues all of us. Lord, we live in a world right now, in a culture, in a time. It's just rough. It's just rough. Tensions are high. We're apt to get offended. But Lord, you have called us to live differently. And I pray, Lord, that today by the power of the Holy Spirit, because it's only by your Spirit that we can do this, that you would empower us to go above and beyond, to overlook offenses, to live differently, Lord. And that through this choice, we somehow would be glorified and ultimately you would be glorified through our behavior. God, in our conversations, in our relationships, Lord, I pray that you would temper our reactions. Help us make wise choices, not be imprudent. Help us not to fly off the handle and get angry, Lord. Help us to choose love, and it will feel unnatural, God, because it is not part of our nature. But I pray that you would empower us to live differently and not bitterly. And Lord, we will give you all the praise for it. We ask all this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name.